0: Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. But very pleased to welcome my first guest to luck on Sunday today. I described him as the big spending owner with big opinions and a big story. It's been a little while now that we've been trying to get him onto the luck on Sunday, uh, studio, but the good news is we can do it in the wake of one of his highest profile triumphs. Ashtown lad winning the beach chase last weekend. He is of course, Darren Yates. Darren, good morning. Good morning. Thanks good, for having me. Good to see you. And thanks for, thanks for coming in. Um, Last weekend, yep. Where does that rank in your
1: long and storied time as a as a racehorse owner? I would say it's it's tough when you've had obviously the Frankie bet, but I would say it's probably my best day in racing. Having all my family there, um, trying to keep a few people quiet that you know only seem to have negative things to say about me buying horses. But it was it was just a really really great day, a really great day.
0: I will I will obviously come on to that because i know you're you're itching to talk about it but i i want really to to go right back to to day 1 and yep. where all this began because a lot of people will say you, know, you had a, a bet on the, the Frankie D'Tori accumulator yeah in 1996 and that's how you became a punter that's not that's not quite as simple as that is it
1: no i think at the time the papers like to make the story that you know it was my last 60 quid in the world clearly it wasn't we were reasonably comfortable, uh, comfortable at that time. And and I, I was building uh, my first house, mm-hmm. and obviously I had a bet on the Saturday. You know, the rest is history. Won five hundred and fifty grand. Of course, it helped massively, and it was pretty life changing. But I was still a punter at that time before that. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and you, you were running your own business at the time. Yeah. So, what were you doing on a on a day to day basis?
1: Uh, well, I'm a joiner by trade. Yeah. So, I was still working on site. I uh, had a few lads working under me, and as I said, we would just bought um, our first plot of land to build our own house. So, um, but I'd always been from the age of 15, 16, sixteen. I'd gone in the bookies, had a bet. Um, it was, I've always loved horses, really. And so, punting was always part of your yeah part of your life. Yeah.
0: And so, that was the the big bet landed.
1: Yeah. Was everything different from the next day? Um. I think it was. I mean, the, I mean, typical. I'll tell you a quick story about my what my wife's like. So they they flew us down we were uh, down in London, and they said, "Look, go and get, go and, go and buy whatever you want. Go and buy whatever you want." So I went out, got a nice suit, you know, because I was spending their money. Annaly comes back, and you won't believe it. There was a sale on at Dorothy Perkins. I said, "What? What? You, you know, that, that's typical of my wife. She would just not not be flash, not be a big spender. That's just what what we're both like, really." Uh huh. And so you tried to keep things steady yes for a little while anyway we kept things steady for a little while um and um we bought a couple of horses early days with jack berry in those days yeah didn't have sort of great success then um and went from there really just had a horses on a small scale nothing nothing like today okay when was the tipping point when did it become I built uh, a couple of businesses. One was uh, my property business, and another business that I sold for a reasonable amount of money. And from that, that's when I sort of started to spend big. So you had a war chest. Yes. And you thought, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go hard. Yeah, I thought, I'll you know, because we'd I'd bought horses really to gamble in the early days. Mm-hmm. So I would buy a horse, maybe rated eighty-five. And um, eventually he would be running off 60-65, let's say. You know, he might have needed time to get him fit, doing nothing wrong. But on the day, um, we would have a good punt and we pulled a few of those off. You know, with Dazeen, Dezaki, Kingscroft, to name a few. I mean, some big Mm punts. But it just became impossible because, you know, I'm I'm probably boring saying it, but everybody knows you just can't get a bet on now. It's impossible. You, you, You can't get a decent bet on if you want to.
0: Could you get a decent? Could you could you get a decent bet on then, or would you have to make sure that it was orchestrated in such a wily way that nobody had nobody would know who was
1: behind it? Um, I had two or three accounts at the time with various big bookies, so I got a little bit on with each. But once you've stung them a couple of times, that's it. It's all over. Really, There's, the, nowadays you just can't get a bet on. I mean, now if I want to bet, I have a, a really good friend in Ireland that puts a bet on for me with a a firm called Fitzwilliam Mm -hmm. which are like old style you know really good VIP service look after the the guys in Ireland really well and if I want a decent bet now I'm down to that you know I ask a friend of mine if he'll get the bet on for me with with that business
0: and did that business well they do now I was gonna say did that business know whose money it
1: actually is well they. They're, like I say, they're all stale. Um, there's no secrets. Um, they um, they seem to take a decent bet, um, and they treat punters properly. Um, from what I can see, you know they, they've obviously registered in Ireland. I just find, you know, my friend finds them great, great to deal with, great to deal with. So you still like you still like punting? Punting's still in you? Oh, absolutely. And absolutely. you you still
0: like pulling off a a coup?
1: Yeah, I mean it's different now because. It is, I must say, it is easier to get on in the better races. So obviously, Ashdown Lad run in, mm. running the Beecher. St- it's still difficult, but in the better races, you, you can get on. If you're running a horse at Wolverhampton, in 0 to sixty, forget it. You've just no chance of getting on.
0: There's logic to, behind that, though, isn't there? Because yeah. if you're if you're running a horse in the Beecher Chase, and you really fancy that horse, I as your layer have got. a... Got absolutely. Pretty, I've got a pretty good chance Absolutely, if you're running your 85 horse that I know
1: nothing about in
0: the to 60 I've got no chance at all so I'm not going to touch you with a barge pole.
1: absolutely but still even in the beach it's still, you, know, you still struggle to get a good bet on even in, even in the beacher.
0: and when you say a good bet what sort of, what sort of
1: money would you be looking to win um, I guess if you wanted to get a bet on to win at least 100 grand even right. in the beach you, mm. would, you would really struggle
0: And is that what is that what you need to win out of
1: a out of a bet to make it really worthwhile? Well, you know, to buy a decent horse nowadays, you're looking at a couple of hundred grand, and then you've got your training fees. You know, you're never going to make it pay. You're never going to make it pay. But what I've found is now, and I sort of changed my attack a few years ago because of not being able to get on. I've started buying better better horses Mm -hmm. to run in better races, and hopefully the prize money. So Ashdown Lab, for instance, I think we bought him as a young horse, maybe for about 140000 And he's now won the Beecher, which was around about 60000 to the owners, I think. So that's probably three years' training fees. So in that, you know, you're never going to get your money back for buying them, but if you can win a couple of decent races, you're going to cover your fees.
0: So you still apply a bit of business now to proceedings. It's not just a
1: question of, right, I've got... This many million to spend, I'm going to work my way through it. No, no, no. I, I I try. I'm not really a seller because obviously you dream all your life of getting a nice horse. Now I'm sure we would get a large bid for Ashtown, mm-hmm. because obviously he's potentially a national horse now. Handicaps put him up to one four five. So I would imagine out there there's people that would bid, but I don't think there's a price for that horse because it's you know it's, it's obviously a dream. It's 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 a dream to own a horse like that. Now, you made the point right at the
0: beginning of this interview that not everyone seemed happy for you when you won with, with Ashtown Lad. What did you
1: mean by that? I don't want to be negative at all. I mean, but it's like I don't have social media because I just, I think the way the world's gone, it's just not, not for me. I'm a bit mm-hmm. of a dinosaur, I'm afraid. But my two children, obviously when we bought horses like Carlos Felix, when we bought Black Lion and we spent a lot of money and they ran badly, social media nearly blows up laughing you know this is that and i said look i'm not bothered and bradley said yeah it's really interesting though dad he said i think it was three comments after ashdown lad winning he said that a problem in three thousand if it had fell at the first but he said i said yeah but that's just life That i'm afraid that's just the world world that we're living
0: and the famous example is you bought a horse called interconnected for a lot of money yeah over 600 grand at the
1: yeah the i mean sales and that was really interesting because again i got berated for that but i think jp was the underbidder nicky wanted him back um I went to I think I went to six twenty and I think the bid below me was six hundred. And we've had a bit of bad luck with him. He got injured. Um you pay your money, take a chance. But my point my big point on that was, I'm the idiot for bidding six twenty, so if JP had got for six hundred, is he gonna get the same treatment as me? I guess not, but that's
0: Welcome back Darren Yates uh, owner is still with me he's alongside David Ward editor of the Sporting Life and uh, Paddy Brennan who is again amongst the winners this weekend there was no Cheltenham Saturday there was Cheltenham Friday right? You only need one Cheltenham day to be riding winners every time there's a meeting pretty much
2: Yeah that's always the uh, aim I always think every winner I ride at Cheltenham could be my last and I've been thinking that for 18 years so I love it there
0: uh, You wrote punctuation
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: On, on Friday Yeah Um I don't know anyone who gets quite as much, or seemingly quite as, as much of an obvious thrill as you do from riding a winner even on a Friday at the December meeting at Cheltenham, never mind the the festival.
2: It has become a real thing with you, hasn't it? Yeah, it's so hard at Cheltenham and, you know, my friends, my family, it's a lot of people there and yeah, it's, it's the Olympics, like you only have to drive past Cheltenham to understand how special the place is. It's, you know, I've ridden a lot of places around the world and there's no place like Cheltenham.
0: All right, so everything all still in working order by the looks of uh, by the looks of Friday afternoon. You keep threatening that you're coming to the end of your career, but it, you've been saying that to me for about seven years. I, I just refuse to believe it any longer.
2: Yeah, I think it's. It, I genuinely believe if Fergal O'Brien hadn't come along, maybe I wouldn't be sat here talking about my riding career at the moment. So he's prolonged it, and uh, yeah, we'll keep hanging in there for a bit longer.
0: How do you feel in yourself?
2: Yeah, it, it does get harder. I can't ride seven days a week anymore. You know, I can't drive around the country for one ride. That that hits you when you get to the age of 40. But I'm in a very fortunate position, and if your body gets a bit stiffer, and it's not as easy, but you keep on going.
0: Do you, do you actually identify a point in time when that gets harder. Oh, yeah. Beyond, beyond 40. So it's not that's not just a psychological thing.
2: No, you do. You started to, you know, you just... There's, there's young, there's lads in that wear room. I've got shoes older than them. And <laughs> it's, you're running around after them. And, you know, I remember when I used to have to drive to Sedfield for one ride when I lived near Taunton Racecourse, and I used to drive there for one to have three at Taunton. But I've done all that, and I'm in a very, as a pri- privileged position, and I think if I'm needed, I'll be there, you know. So you can manage it quite, quite successfully. Yeah, it took a bit of getting used to the start, where, you know, you've got to switch the TV on and expect that some of these horses are going to win, that you could be riding. But, Nick, you've got to be realistic, and I'm breaking it down. So when the day does come, I would like to think I win myself off rather than just jumped off. Mm-hmm. Have you thought much beyond? Every day. Anything
0: kind of crystallising in your mind?
2: No, look, I've set up a nice business at home. I've got over 40 horses on the farm, and um, that's, that's running nicely. But I think that's something I can run in the morning and the evening. I still... I'm open to offers and I'm hoping the day I do retire there will be something come my way. So you've got 40 horses on the place? Yeah.
0: And how many staff do you need to, to service it's, I've that? only
2: got one member of staff. Wow. Uh, yeah, I run it with a telehandler which is a big machine where I can, I feel like that's two members of staff and I keep, I've got 21 in one barn at the minute and horses everywhere so yeah, look it's, it's a business that I, I'm running but I, when, you, when, you're, when you've worked as a jockey for 20 something years, things like that are easy. So, yeah. Uh, are they? Yeah. In what way? It's just no three hours to get to the barn, you know. No driving around the country. It's just you don't realise how draining that can be. And do you actually find it quite
0: relaxing? Might be the wrong, the wrong word. But do do you get a different satisfaction out of out of looking after the horses at home?
2: Yeah, it's completely different. Obviously, it's not the same kicker at, but I think in one barn at the minute I have horses in the region of two million pounds. In value you know and that's a lot of responsibility but as I say when you're used to pressure as a race riding you never you never feel that pressure again it's it's totally different it's more relaxed more normal being a jockey isn't normal
0: it's quite interesting isn't it Darren I I don't know as an owner over the years have you have you thought about racing from a from a jockey's point of view You've come into contact with so many riders and trainers and what, what they do day in day out
1: I always think about the driving all around the country. I think a lot of people don't um, don't realise how dangerous that is in itself. rush I mean, they don't do the two anymore. But when they used to do the two meetings, rush from one to another. And I think taking the saunas out. I think that's a that's a real big mistake as well for the jockeys. I don't know if you agree with that.
2: Yeah. Look, it's, it's not something that involves me very much, but you know, it's it's it
3: is tough for some of the lads, definitely.
0: And Dave, you've you've driven down from Leeds.
3: Got the train, Nick. I'm not going to lie live on TV. I know. I, I mean, the travel for the jockeys was just. Ridiculous. When you're going for one ride, the economics of it as well, the, the distances you're travelling for one riding fee, it, it didn't make sense. I think going down to one meeting a day has helped, clearly. But the, the workload, the riding out in the morning, then to the races, the, the full day, and often for, as we say, for one or two rides, it, it, it's a tough life.
0: It is, and riders this week have uh, expressed their views on, on the use of the whip, once again, with the new rules um, set to come in. With a, a little bit of betting in time before before Cheltenham uh, paddy what's the what's the feeling in the in the jockeys room at the moment about how these how these rules are going going to go down and how they're going to be applied
2: yeah, I think it's hit home a little bit now, like at the very start of the stick rules I, I was extremely disappointed I was never asked my opinion been sitting that way room a long time. <laughs> I'd like to think I've done a lot of things in the game, and yeah, I was disappointed. And, you know, right now, I hear lads, they were starting to raise their voices around the waiting room, and I said, lads, voice your opinion. You know, it's never too late to speak out. And, um, yeah, they've realised there's an issue because... It, w- w- Adam Wedge for example was at Leicester and he gave a horse a lovely ride you just sit down you watch you think it's normal but he was told in the new rules he'd have got 12 days like it's going to be completely different and personally I think it's something that's not going to work why? just because of the riding style of hitting them in, in a totally different way it's, it's very hard to get the whip back there Forehand, backhand. It's it's for for some of the jockeys, it's next to impossible. Unless their hand is going to go to the sky, there's no way they're going to be hit them in the right place. It's impossible. So to me, it's it, there's a there's a possibility it could look even worse. I think the way it is at the minute is fine. What 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 they want to do is is maybe reduce the hits and bigger the ban. If you go one over the penalty is going to be a lot harsher. And if you get, go two over, it's going to be even more harsher. There's, there's ways around it, but I think it's, a lot, it's going to be a lot more difficult than people think.
0: Okay. You used your whip in the backhand position when you won on punctuation on Friday and appeared to get the response that you desired from the horse and the horse won. Yeah. So anybody watching that would think, well, hang on a minute, you didn't seem to have a problem using your whip in the backhand. And I think the rider of the runner-up, who is Harry Skelton, well, he's used it in the forehand there, but you've got your your whip in the backhand position, Paddy, and
2: don't seem to be having any problems. No, but I don't, because look, I'm very far back in the saddle. I'm quite tall. You know, I've got long hands. It's, it's different for me. And I didn't, people say, oh, you did that because the new rules. No, I didn't. I just didn't have time to get it into the forehand. And I didn't, the rhythm was there, so I just left it. It was nothing to do with the new rules. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's easier for me. And if you watch my style, I get more stick about it. But I sit extremely far back, and I can get, I can get my arm back there, no problem. What we don't want to see is, if, if, you, if you go to the new rules and people come in short with the whip, that's going to be a disaster. So here's
0: the thing. So as everybody knows now, I was on the the whip review steering group. Um, and within that steering group are two representatives from the weighing room. Yeah. One jumps, Tom Skidmore one flat PJ MacDonald. Now, I am not seeking to heap all the responsibility for the new regulations on them. At the end of the day, the BHA board has to ratify the recommendations and it's them who decide what appears in that rulebook. Not the steering group and not the jockeys, but the the British Horse Racing Authority. Um, However, nobody on that steering group is going to try and put forward a suite of recommendations if they haven't been rubber-stamped by the two representatives of the two weighing rooms that are in there, one of whom is a senior figure on the Professional Jockeys Association board. So this is where the disconnect comes for me. And, I, and I, I as again, I'm not trying to pump all the responsibility onto Tom Scudamore, but he's been very eloquent in the last couple of weeks saying that he thinks it's a perfectly workable rule.
2: Yeah, well, he's entitled his opinion, but so are the rest of the jockeys in the room, And they're starting to speak up. So, as I say, you can... From my experience, I I personally don't think it's going to work and people are, you know, one person in particular has been saying, why, why are we coming out now? Well, that same person slammed the door in entry one day and told us not to get out of our seats to go out and ride in the next race when the previous rules came out. So it's never too late to speak. Go on, just talk me through that. I... When the previous rules came out. So that's back in 2012. Yeah. The, the door was slammed. We were told not to go out and ride, and I and we didn't want to. We were like, "Fine, we won't." But do you know what I mean? It's never one of your own. Yeah, yeah.
0: Tried to organise a mutiny.
2: Well, yeah, it it was. The bands were just wrapping up, and Mm. this was their way of dealing with it. No problem. We sat in the seat. Didn't happen. But it's it's never too late to speak. People are saying, "Why are they speaking now?" Let them speak. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, I spoke with the BHA last night, and they assured me that. If jockeys wanted to speak, they would still listen. This is the statement from the BHA. The BHA undertook extensive technical discussions following the publication of the recommendations earlier this year by the steering group, which itself included two leading current jockeys. Those full and frank discussions were held with representatives of all interested parties, and the feedback provided was listened to and considered carefully. Ultimately, what's been agreed upon is a package of measures designed to develop a more considered and judicious use of the whip for encouragement, improving the style and perception of its use recognise the importance of working with jockeys, which is why we've engaged with them and their representatives to make sure they understand the changes being brought in through communication and education. We'll be happy to continue with such engagement prior to the implementation of the new rules and penalties and throughout the respective betting in periods for both codes. That's fair enough, isn't it,
2: Paddy? Yes. Like they say, we can speak, and I I, I just think there there is time to still speak.
0: Darren, um, as as an owner, as a punter, perhaps more importantly
1: in this regard, how do you feel... I'd like to make two points on that if it's all right. You can make as many as you know, like. I don't know what Paddy thinks. I don't know how you can put it on a number, so whether it's 12, whether it's 14. So if you've got a jockey, for instance, hitting the horse in the wrong place six times, clearly wrongly, and then you've got a jockey that's hit the horse 12 times correctly, might be a loose horse, Or can you really put a number on it? Should it not not be looked more into how and the reasons that they've been hit, I don't know what you, if you agree with that. I don't think a number can be correct, surely, a fixed number of whip strokes.
2: Yeah, I think the whip number, it has worked the majority of time since they brought in the number, but I do know what you're saying. But to mention jockeys riding at the moment, I always look at someone like Harry Cobden. Yeah. He, he knows when to hit a horse, yeah. and more so, more importantly, any jockey when not to hit a horse, yes. and that's to your point. But that's got to be left to the jockey's discretion.
1: Yeah. And I think,
2: yeah, the number is, is, is sometimes quite difficult.
1: But there's, there's one more point for an owner's point of view, yeah. and I think this is right. So if we just look at, this is at one thing I think is totally wrong. So Ashtown Lad, for instance, wins the Beacher with the new rules. Let's say I'm watching and the horse has been hit, for instance. If the rule's 12, he's been hit 13 times. Mm-hmm. You get presented with your trophy as an owner, blah, blah, blah. But I know a week later they're coming to get the trophy back from the house, horse are going to be disqualified. How the hell is that going to work? Yeah, that's that's been a bone of contention. Well, how how is it going to work? You uh, tell me, Dave. What do, what do you think of that? From a from a media
0: and communications point of view, the part of the new ruling is that disqualifications if a jockey goes more than four over the the eight or the seven in flat racing will be deferred and, uh, and heard by a panel on the next week and the betting industry has been heavily behind that
3: you understand why the betting industry because it's clean on the day the winner gets paid out but it's the owners mm. who suffer and also the people who've back the second if you bet the second you're watching coverage on racing TV you know that jockey exit it that 19 times that horse is going to lose the race in 48 hours but I'm not going to get paid out you're accepting a trophy that you know is going to be returned 48 hours later that doesn't sit comfortably with me but nor does the prospect of how it's going to be played? so we're going to have people sat in front of screens counting all the way through races coming up with like a score sheet for jockeys at the end of each race knowing who might be in trouble who's not it, it it's going to take an awful lot of understanding i mean hopefully they won't need to hopefully the rules will be followed i mean the new wit- wit rules they took a bedding in process but i'd not come with that delay i know why they've done it because it would be difficult but you, they always say imagine the scenario on the grand national if the Grand National winner is disqualified and it's live on ITV and they announce that he's been disqualified because the jockey's gone over four times over the, the yeah. winner, if he gets disqualified three days later, that's going to be in the ITN news as well. It's, we're not going to avoid the public scrutiny of it. It's, it, it's not going to disappear because the high-profile winners are getting disqualified away from the big day itself.
1: But is there going to be any discretion? You look at Harry when he won on La mm-hmm. the Coral Trophy a few weeks ago. He's got the loose horse. If he's hit the horse, the amount of times he's allowed to what if he's just trying to be safe and he's trying to correct the horse horse is coming in front of him there's got to be well, some you sort are, of-
0: you, are al- you are allowed to count for safety as well as to count for encouragement so it's 12 strokes or over for encouragement is the is the threshold beyond which you will be you will be disqualified and I mean the let's let, let's be clear what the point of the whip review was it was first of all to ask the question does the whip or the Procush, or the foam-padded implement, have a position in in the sport, have a place in the sport. Um, Some people thought, no, it doesn't. Some people think, yes, it does. Others aren't quite sure. So to try and consider whether that was the case, and the answer to that has been, yes, it does. The recommendation is, yes, it does. the Recommendations were quite happy with the number of strikes, as things are at the moment, eight and seven. But use of the whip A needs to be more... Judicious, um, B needs to be better, and C needs to be more palatable to a wider public. And perhaps most importantly of all, the second part of the the equation is: um, how are we going to stop the win at all cost mentality and jockeys just disregarding the whip rules in the bigger race, the biggest races of all, Paddy. And really, that's the that's the nub of it. Yeah, and that'll always be the issue. But will it always be under the new regulations? Because you're not going to go
2: anywhere near 12 strikes, are you? No. So if you're not, why is anyone else? No, but if the severity of the ban changes, which is... Which it is doing. Yeah, no. But if the severity of the ban changes with the way that stick is used at the moment, why can't that work? Well... And and maybe reduce it. Reduce the number.
0: Oh, so you would be in favour of coming down, but the... the but deputations from the jockeys said you can't change the number. Did
2: you
1: know, they? The,
0: jockeys weren't, the jockeys weren't happy with the number coming down.
2: Right, well, you know, we feel like we're going to have to change something. So that's, that's what's in discussion at the moment. And this is
0: the issue, isn't it, Dave? Absolutely. Everyone's in agreement that things might need to be tweaked or changed. But you, it's very hard to find consensus as to what the most effective way of doing it
3: is. Quite what is. it is. I mean, what's clear, there's definitely been a disconnect with the jockeys. Through this process again, we have seen it before where the representatives, there was a senior member of the PGA on there. This hasn't been ratified by the whole way room. You probably would never get full wain room support for anything anyway. But it's just what, what do, I think there's got to be a number. I don't think we can go around leaving it to the discretion of individual stewards on the day as to whether aesthetically it was unpleasant, was it was that order that was unnecessary. There has to be some sort of framework in place. I think that's right. I think if you start reducing the number if you bring it lower and lower and lower, then you're going to go to zero quite soon. If you start bringing it down, if you say we're going to go from 12 to 6, what's the difference? Oh, well, that's, we've still got the odd issue. Let's well, go 6 to 3, and it's 3 to 0. And it's, if we've decided we need to keep it, we need a robust framework in place to do so. And, I mean, we spoke to Paddy, if the punishment goes, if you go one over and you're not, you're, getting, you're not getting a cost, you're not getting a week's ban, that's going to start hitting home.
0: To, to your earlier point, do you think really the noise that's been generated in the last week? Do you think the forehand backhand issue is the major issue? I,
2: I really do, yeah, yeah. And is that what
0: is that what exercising most of the jockeys? Do you think?
2: I do, like the majority of them. You, you know, you 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 got like Tom Scudamore obviously went to the meeting, and as I said earlier, he's entirely opinion. But you got maybe eighty percent of the other jockeys now saying, "Hold on, this we don't feel comfortable about this." And yes, they they, they want to come to an agreement, but. It's just the the, the style of race riding. When you're riding in a three-mile chase and heavy ground, it's totally different than you could ever experience. And you know, we're we're so aware of the welfare. Absolutely, you know, and the number like we're mentioning twelve. There, well, if anyone's hitting a horse twelve times, I'm sorry, they shouldn't be winning. You know. Well, exactly. Yeah. So So we're 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 really aware of that, but the number at the moment is eight. Mm -hmm. As I said. Made, if, if we redu- Harry Skelton got close to twelve in the in the big Newbury race. Yeah, but I, I can't speak for Harry in the Newbury race, but he can't do that in a few months' time, or he loses the race. Exactly. Yeah, which but, is what the, the BHA's
0: representatives have been going around telling you guys for the last. Yeah, couple no, of I weeks.
2: know, and I, I understand that, but I'm just saying the style of riding, Nick, is not as simple as i like I said earlier. Mm-hmm. The jockeys are willing to speak, and the number. That they're willing to speak about. And like we said, if a jockey goes one over and he's getting a weak ban, it's a big difference to go on a one over and getting a caution yeah, or a two day ban.
0: And that's it. The bans have gone up as well. So you think, in summary, I think, you, you're not, you don't hate the disqualification idea because you don't think that anyone's going to get close to it or that you're not going to get close to it.
2: I don't think, I, no, I, I really don't think anyone will get close to
0: it. You don't, hate the idea of much harsher bands and the idea that jockeys need to just take more personal responsibility for the way they use the whip. Absolutely. But you are bothered on behalf of a lot of your colleagues by the ease with which they can transition to a backhand yeah. whip use. Yeah. Mm. And do you think there are going to be a whole raft of bands come in immediately, these rules change or not?
2: Oh, uh, Absolutely. Uh, you know, as I said, it was brought home to the jockeys a couple of weeks ago. The stewards have been bringing the lads in when they're riding winners and saying, look, if you do this in the new rules, you'll be getting two-week banner. The bans will stack up and it will become... There won't be a lot of jockeys left riding. It'll be that difficult. So that's where the issue is. What do you think the answer should be? Look, it's it's it's, it's it, we, all, we, we need a meeting. We need to sit down. We need to come to an agreement. But harsher bans... And if they've got to reduce the numbers, like you say, you reduce them to one or two, where, where does it end? I know, but if, if, if we can all just meet somewhere in the middle and make it good for everyone, then we've we'd, we'd got, got to keep things going as best we can and be very careful of what actions we take.
3: How hard will it be for the Irish Jockeys going over to Cheltenham, who haven't been riding under these rules for the month of the build-up, in the white heat of a battle at Cheltenham, to be able to adapt styles and adapt to the potential punishments that are in place?
2: It'll be, it'll be next to impossible and it's not just Ireland, all around the world that's coming to ride over here. It's just totally different and yeah, like I can't see it happening anywhere else in the world.
0: Okay, here he is then. Uh, he's going to have to rejig a few plans after yesterday's abandonments. Nicky Henderson, good morning. Morning Nick and the team, how are you? Yeah, all very well. Thank you, Nicky. Thanks Good. for joining us. Happy birthday for yesterday. Um, although it was a day I'm sure you'd have rather spent at, at, at Cheltenham, how much improvising are you going to have to do over the next 10, 14 days? Well,
4: quite a lot, to be fair, obviously, because of what we've what we've lost um, this weekend. And to be fair, like you were just talking about, we've got to um, sort of think about Shishkin and where, uh, what and where he is going to well, distance what we're going to try. And, and it's not easy to find the races for them, to be fair. I know it's an old chestnut, but it was very sad to lose all that at Cheltenham over the weekend because, I mean, they they did an amazing job on Friday to get it on. And you could see what's happened. And it was, it was, it was inevitable throughout the whole week that it was going to be a very tricky situation for, the, for them to get these two days on. And unfortunately, you know, it, it, it didn't happen. I mean, do you do you think in circumstances like
0: this there's any uh, merit in being a bit more agile in terms of what races you run
4: on what day in order to give yourself the best chance of getting the, the best races on? Well, I don't know. I, I wasn't actually watching you early on. The only... When JP was here yesterday, and, I mean, the only idea you could have is that you have a whole hurdle card on one day and a chase card on the other. And... Therefore, you haven't got to uncover the course. You can let it keep warm. Yeah. Uh, it that's... could happen, but I, that's, the practicality of it is one thing, but it's it's, um, it's not the worst idea. No, one I hadn't considered,
0: and, and yeah, certainly certainly a, a, an interesting one to, to throw into the mix. In terms of those hurdlers, then, you've now obviously got Constitution Hill, Epatant, First Street, presumably wanting to get... I run into all of them around about Christmas
4: time. What are you thinking at the moment? Well, the plan was for Constitution Hill to go to Kempton, and he's still, that is that is where we'd like to, and that's where he will go, all being well. Um, Epidont, obviously, we were coming back into the International. It would be lovely to think, and it has been done before, that International did reroute to Ascot. I think in he binoculars here. Um, and it would be it would be nice to be think that was a possibility um otherwise Epitont, you haven't got much option but to go straight back into Captain and take on Constitution Hill again, which you know that's the reason we were going to to Chowdram was because yeah she seemed very well if only fortnight after the fighting fifth um but she seemed very well as did first street. First Street could run in the handicap at Ascot on Saturday with 12 stone um, because I'm pretty sure the two top weights are going to do different things and run in the Howden and wrong walk and different races. So he would have 12 stone. I know he had 12 stone at Newbury, but when was against sort of second season, novices. this is going to be harder. Okay, so that looks like the plan for,
0: for those three at the moment. There was talk about going to the Matheson Hurdle in Ireland with one of the
4: horses. Is that still a possibility? You, could you send well, anything? Not there? really, because Constitution Hill is actually the only one we have in there. Epitant's oh, okay. not in. So uh, and Constitution Hill wants to go to Kempton. Okay. Um, and that's where he will go, and that leaves Epitont sort of without a without a slot, which. Um, that's why I say the international was pretty important and I'd, <laughs> I'm hoping to be able to talk to the powers that be that maybe as I say it has been done before so maybe maybe they'll help us Have you had any steer on that yet? No, none no. Okay. I have made a call but I haven't managed to, um, to talk to anybody yet I, I make it a shade of odds on you won't get your wish but I might be wrong
0: uh, w- well, what about what about John Bon? Um, is he does he fancy a trip to Kempton
4: over Christmas? No, I wouldn't have thought so. I think he's probably the kingmaker. I mean, he doesn't really, as you can see from here. He's I mean, he's going round on his own. Uh, he did it well. Actually, Morel kept in company over the first four fences at, at Warwick first time out, and uh, this time he went round on his own. He's only going to have to. You know, Wherever he goes, I can't see anybody taking him on for the lead early on, so he's just got to do his own thing. I would have thought something like the kingmaker at Warwick and, and, and leave it at that. Um Then he can do plenty of practising at home and keep his eye in, but he's really well and he's in great form, and I, I, I don't think he needs to go to Campton. And we spoke quite extensively about, about
0: Shishkin a, a few moments ago, and, and you were thinking about Stepping him up in trip now, is he is he okay after the Tingle Creek?
4: Yeah, we have actually have we, we've we've looked at his back. Um, think we can help him there. Um, I yes, I mean, it did look a bit laboured and and his jumping wasn't as slick as what it's uh, as as he can be. Um, we have I know all these things are deemed excuses and whatever, but. Um, uh, Sort of chiropractor physios have been working away, they have identified an issue which we can correct, um, as you would with any horse if there's anything to be seen. He was sore, um, it's it, it, the same thing over two miles. If you go back to the Clarence House last year, that epic race with an urchinine, you know, to be fair, he was off the bridle the whole way, um, until the, the second last we looked did horrible trouble, but he stayed and, it, and it, he only got there because of stamina. Um, but I think, it, it, you know, the probably these horses just don't, you know, if you're going around time and time again, flat to the boards, they get rather, well, they get rather bored of it, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. They'd like to be in a comfort zone and that's where I'd like, you know, if you're up to him to two and a half at least. And it's not easy because I've been through it. The only place he could probably go is the Silviano Conte in January at Kempton or the Ascot chase. Um, Those are the the only two and a halves and the threes. He's not in the King George, and I don't suppose that would be a very good place for him anyway. But um, it's, it's nearly coming down to running in a handicap if you want to go that or the Cotswold chase. And then Chantry House has got to come into the equation only because he unfortunately uh, unseated in the many clouds, which was very disappointing because um, we've been sort of very pleased with the way he's come on this year altogether. And I was really looking forward to that. So that's left him out in the cold with nowhere to go, uh, except for, again, having to do the Roland Merrick or something like that. But again, that's... They're bound to have top weight and they're open handicaps, so it's a bit of a the Cotswold chase. Is obviously, the obvious one for Chantry House, which he won last year. But Nicky, uh, are you are you encouraged by the fact that because
0: of the way the cards have fallen this season, there's a lot of horses of real quality that have run in handicaps? I mean, Long Presse, to to name one example, but there've been many others as well in good handicaps. I mean, Grenatine in the Holden Gold Cup of 168. They've just bossed their inferiors. Would that encourage you to, to do something like that with Chantry has Because he's unlikely to meet a horse of serious calibre in the Roland
4: Merrick, however much weight he's got to concede. Yeah, you would. You'd just like to see these limited handicaps because that's what gives them a great... Well, that's the big incentive. You'll get a select a, a field if you don't have to give away two stone... You keep everything uh, out of the handicap, and then you become massively well in. Well, it was it was rather like, the Saturday we lost a race for Mr. Coffee on... on I couldn't run him at Cheltenham on Friday. And that was a novice handicap over three miles, and he had, in fact, done exactly that. He pushed every single one of them <laughs> out of the handicap. Um, so, yeah, of course, we like races like that, but, I mean, we're not... Uh, you know, in fairness, if... Yeah, the, the three-mile chase at at um, Ascot on Saturday. I mean, had we had we foreseen, possibly we should have foreseen. I'd if I'd have known what was going to happen at uh, Chantry House, would have probably had an entry in that and say, go on, go and run in it and and carry twelve stone because um, there is nowhere else. Sadly, he's not in that. Um, but uh, well, there you go. I mean, I didn't put him in and. As I say, you couldn't foresee the circumstances. We had a plan; um, it didn't work out, and now we haven't got ourselves an alternative. What's yes? What's good
0: for the goose is not necessarily good for the gander. What yeah. is um, the news on Buzz? I saw a nice picture on social media earlier in the week with you and and he, and he seems to be back. Is he?
4: Is he somewhere approaching fitness? Well, well Buzz is back. He's, he's back at Seven Barrows, which is lovely, um, and he's. Thoroughly well in himself, he's been doing a huge amount of rehab work. He's actually been doing a lot of dressage, and we've been down to see him with James and Nikki Stafford and Jess. We've been—he—he he looks fabulous, and everything seems to be working well. It wasn't—it was a pretty severe injury. He fractured his pelvis, but um, he—he's moving very well, and, and there's been—you know—every step has sort of progressed his movement and his whole hind action is 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 improving the whole time he's building muscle the whole time and he started gentle countering we've got a long long way to go um, but if we're going to get anywhere this year we had to start now um, but the the veterinary team have been positive we're being positive and if if he ever says no listen just hang about, this isn't for me, I can, but I could do other things, then we'd never ask him to go and do something if we thought there was any risk or that really he wasn't going to enjoy it. OK, so if he does come back and he does
0: well, obviously he's a horse in the staying hurdle division, that's going to be very interesting. Now, after Champ won at Newbury, you wondered about the long walk or wondered about maybe keeping him fresh for later
4: in the year. Are you going to give him a, a run if, if Ascot's on next weekend? Very much so, we hope. Yes, he's in very good form. Satya and rides him every day and knows him absolutely inside out and backwards. Says he feels in great form. Um, obviously, he hasn't required a huge amount of galloping since then. Um, he had a nice spin yesterday. Uh, no, the plan is the long walk. I mean, I think we always understood that you know he, he, he can be very, very good fresh. He won the long walk first time out last year. Um, and he won the newbie race first time out this time. But there wasn't much between them, to be fair. They're going to meet again. But what a great sight this is, the two 10-year-olds. They've been at it a long time. Uh, They've been two absolute stars, and I'm sure they'll put on a big show again. Champ Paisley Park,
0: the rematch is on next weekend. And, Nicky, we can't let this go without just asking one final question about about Constitution Hill, uh, how, do you, how do you train him between these races? Obviously, you got him, you got him ripe for um, the week before the Fighting Fifth. You, you won the Fighting Fifth with him. Presumably, you have to do
4: not too much with him at home, but just enough. Yeah, he's just ticking over at the moment. He hasn't done any serious work since, but he will start this week. And he'll have a he'll have a gallop on Saturday, and and the following weekend I would imagine, and i he'd do two bits of work wherever we can. Um, I'd like. I mean, how know, are you? How are you getting the work? How are you getting his work companions right
0: now? If, um, if he's what? demolishing them with,
4: yeah, no, no, we have ways and means. <laughs> are you having to jump one in halfway up the gallop again? <laughs> we did once last year. Yes. Um it it it's it's not the easiest thing to do, but when you've got very good riders, which we luckily have, I think it's easy it, it's not that difficult actually because if you can let two good horses work away, and then he comes and joins them and just does his own thing and they they do their own thing um it keeps him going he's he's not he's not, actually he's a very clean winded horse which helps us um he can get a bit heavy at times, but he seems good and he's very happy in himself. Um we'll just tick over this week. I say the weather's just you've got to be mindful. If we can't get to where we want to going wise, any preparation we'll probably just have to step it up a bit more. But um he hopefully unless I mess it up completely, we'll be fit and ready for Kempton Boxing Day. All right, Nikki,
0: thanks so much. It's a pleasure. Nikki Henderson, um, with Constitution Hill. Your face. When I asked him about jumping one in halfway up the gallop, is he confessed he'd had to do a couple of times?
2: Have you ever known anything like that? No, I've spoken to a couple of the lads that have rode, ridden Constitution Hill work, and I just sat there in awe. It's like wow, like what he's doing—it's incredible, unbelievable.
0: And because you, you, let's face it, you've you've ridden some very, very good horses, Your champion hurdle caliber horses, you know, yeah, very fast ones. And,
2: and in all my years. Of 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 riding, I've never sat and listened to young lads speak about the way this horse works. It's not normal. Really? Yeah, that's from you know. It's just wow. they sit and tell you what he's doing, and you're like, nah, that ain't normal. That's <laughs> just incredible. We're so lucky to witness what this horse is doing.
0: Let's change tack, because the most significant news across the racing world last week developed Friday night our time when it was revealed that the um, trainer of the Kentucky Derby first past the post maximum security Jason Service um, had pleaded guilty to a whole range of charges that could result in a prison sentence of around four years Uh, US racing journalist Alicia Hughes joins me on the line now Alicia first of all I'm very grateful uh, to you for getting up at an unearthly hour, uh, Eastern Time. And there
5: are there are very few people that I would get up at this hour for that does not involve a major racing contender putting in a workout. So this speaks to I've I, I've always told you that you are one of my favorite people. Now you have tangible proof. Well, <laughs>
0: and and I will I will return I will return the favor. I, I absolutely promise you. Um, Alicia, you've been, you've been one of the, the, the pretty small group of journalists who've been following this performance-enhancing drug case right from its inception. It's taken so many twists and turns. Just tell us how we've arrived at service pleading guilty.
5: Um uh, well basically, and I have some notes because it's a little too early in the morning for me to kind of spitball off the top of my head. But um for full disclosure, um, Robert Garrity was the pool reporter who was covering this case and the other cases for the major industry publications. And basically, service was, you know, he was, you know, he's part of that large group that had been indicted on on the conspiracy to misbrand and you know, adulterate performance enhancing drugs. He was basically the last d- defendant um, facing charges in that scheme, and so now I believe twenty-one of the forty of the thirty-one have pleaded guilty. And he was actually scheduled to go to trial um, next month. If he, you know, if he didn't take the plea deal, ple- ple- where he would have been facing, I believe, up to about twenty-five years. Uh, in prison. So this one, you know, by doing the guilty admission, like I said, he's facing up to four years, I believe his sentencing, his sentencing is actually going to take place um, on what I think is Preakness Day, uh, May 18th. So that should be interesting. And basically, he admitted to, you know, using the SGF 1000 drug that, you know, is believed to be a performance enhancing drug. He admitted to, you know, I said, conspiring, he and, and Jorge Navarro, Navarro, who himself is already serving a five-year sentence. And quite frankly, it's a—it's really disgusting, to put it mildly. And I mean, we all know that. That's kind of obvious. But, you know, the fact that, you know, I want to say first and foremost, one of the things I'm most grateful for in this case is, is that maximum security is actually alive. I'm grateful that he is alive. I'm grateful that horses like Chantelot and Sharp S. are alive because... Not everybody made it out alive. XY Jet did not make it out alive in this case. So, you know, it's he's so, yeah, he's facing some jail time. It could have been a lot more. It probably should be a lot more. But that's basically how we kind of arrived to to this point. But he had been I said he had been holding out on his guilty plea for, you know, for some time now. and He was kind of the last domino to fall.
0: You make a very interesting point about the welfare of the horses involved and the extent to which these designer performance-enhancing drugs are inherently dangerous and placing horses under serious physical stress. Has this case told us a lot more about that and and, and given us a bit more um, evidence on a a global scale in that sense?
5: Um, I mean, it's yes and no. I mean, I obviously, you know, I think everybody has kind of believed, especially as it pertains to... Navarro in service, there had been whispers about those two um, for some time. And you know as well as I do, if you walk a backstretch for any length of time, you're gonna find out what's up. And those two had very, the rumors were very strong and it wasn't in, it, there's a difference between what you know and what you can prove, which is why it, it's t- it took to this point, it took the feds getting involved the wiretaps to get the evidence needed to bring charges against everybody involved in this case. But what I find really, what is really concerning is the fact that you know there, there is a lot of people who failed, a lot of humans who failed these horses across the board. There were some very obvious red flags with both of these trainers with regards to the numbers that they were putting up. And I actually pulled some figures um, just so you have, an, I mean, for 2014, just at Monmouth, we're just looking at Monmouth Park. Navarro was winning at 27%, service 29. 2015, Navarro 26, service 25. I'm sorry, that was 2015. 2016, Navarro 37%, service 34%. 2017, Navarro 41%, service 31%. 2018, Navarro 45%, service 41. For comparison's sake, just so that anybody doesn't think, well, those are the winning figures of top trainers at meets, for comparison's sake, Look at the winning percentages of Todd Pletcher and Chad Brown, who I think most people agree get the best of the best stock. They have 11 Eclipse Awards between them. Their win percentages at Saratoga, probably the most competitive meet in the country 2016, Chad 24, Todd 21. 2017, Chad 24, Todd 24. 2018, Chad 27, Todd 15. 2019, Chad 23, Todd 18. 2020, Chad 19, Todd 23, so you're telling me if you're looking at these numbers of what Navarro and service were doing specifically just at Monmouth, anybody who claims that they didn't know or that is either lying or was willfully ignorant and there needs to be some culpability from, from the top down.
0: Now there's been an interesting development in this case involving maximum security Alicia uh, and that is that Gary and Mary West, who were the original owners of maximum security before they sold out an interest to the Coolmore partners, they have written a, a a letter saying that they would be happy not to receive the prize money for the for the Saudi Cup win, and they would be extremely pleased if it was redistributed in the favor of the of the horse who finished second past the post um, how What was your reaction to that?
5: My reaction to that is I wish that there had been some actual Um, condemnation of what Jason Service, their trainer, did, which I did not read that in that statement. I have not read that. I have not seen that. If they have, if there has been any, I have not seen that in any statement that they have put out. There was no, you know, this is horrible. This is terrible. We absolutely do not condemn this behavior. We need to look in the mirror as owners and do our due diligence and do better. There was none of that in there. It was basically kind of a Captain Obvious statement of, yes, he is officially guilty now. Yes, he admitted specifically that maximum security had, had was receiving performance enhancing drugs. So them basically giving Saudi Cup permission to distribute the, the the purse, but they're not going to actually speak out and say, you know, again, they they need to look in the mirror and say, why did you give these horse why did you give him the Jason service? You see these numbers, they were red flags. You know, where where is your, you know. There was just no contrition there and there was no even speaking to the well-being of, of the horse and also they just mentioned the saudi purse what about the other races he won where you know they, they are they gonna you know are they gonna allow the haskell purse to be redistributed or are they gonna like what about his other races why are you just focused why just focus on the saudi cup
0: alicia time is against me but one final point several horsemen and trainers have spoken out in stark condemnation through this process One of them is the normally pretty considered Suge McGahee. What's he had to say?
5: Um, Suge, it actually, um, I posted the quote. It was actually a quote that TDN had gotten from him um, months ago when the indictments had come down. And he very, Suge very strongly said, he blatantly said that he thought Jason Service was one of the biggest creeps that he had ever met in his life. And that he was, he was... Glad at least that hopefully that the racing industry would not have to deal with these two again. And again, you feel for there's I mean there's so many people who you feel for in this situation again. Starting with the horses first and foremost, but also trainers who you know were going up against them who knew that they weren't they 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 knew that they that they weren't facing a level playing field. And you're there's a lot of trainers who have to look back now and, you know, if you're the trainer of of Bodie express of what, of what, what, what might've been, if you're, you know, you know, I said races, that could be on their horses resumes that could have enhanced their own stud value. And those opportunities are gone. And we haven't even gotten into the You know, if you're a horse player, how do you feel that you've been, you know, if you were playing, you know, against them all these years and again, knowing deep down that it wasn't on a level, but also knowing that nothing was being done about it. And again, until until there's some repercussions from the top down, from management down, from the people who look the other way, who let it happen, then nothing's going to, to change. It, like I said, it's bigger than these two. It's the system. We need to go after the system that that allows this to happen because people say it's not just them. You're right, it's not just them, but people will do what they get away with. And so this, like I said, management needs to focus... Really need, needs to take a hard look at itself in general and take hard steps to, to really crack out of this because it hurts everybody, your customers, you know, I said your all of your participants, and most of all your horses. It hurts them all.